Hey listeners, a quick note before the show starts. This conversation was recorded live and only lightly edited, so you're going to hear some artifacts that don't usually make it into one of my episodes. Like my dog's collar jingling in the background, or me bumping the mic stand when I start gesturing wildly. You'll also hear me, future Jake, chime in a few times with details or corrections that I should have thought of in the moment. Welcome to Hub History, where we go far beyond the Freedom Trail to share our favorite stories from the history of Boston, the hub of the universe. This is episode 250. I'm your host, Aaron, from Pilgrim's Digress, and I'm going to be joined by your host, Jake Sconyers. Hi, Jake. How are you doing? Hey, that's me. I'm doing great. Jake, what am I doing here? That is probably the question that all our listeners are asking right now. I thought for episode 250, it'd be fun to to sort of turn the tables. And instead of me interviewing somebody or doing a, my sort of normal scripted narrative podcast to talk a little bit about the show and myself and what's gotten us here over the past, I guess, six years now. Yes. I'm so excited to be here, Jake. We talked before on my podcast, Pilgrim's Digress, and uh, we had such a good time. And so uh, you asked me to come along and... Uh, get you going and get your listeners up to date on 250 episodes. How, yeah. how does that feel? 250 felt really momentous. Part of it has to be all the, the 250th anniversaries that are either upcoming or, or just happened. I know we just had the 250th anniversary of the, uh, the Boston massacre. It's kind of like the last thing that a lot of us did before we all went on lockdown in 2020. It was the last big public gathering I went to for basically two years. It was the last time I met new people in person for at least a year. We have the anniversary of the, the tea party coming up next year. And then come 25, that'll be all the big local, you know, Lexington and Concord, Bunker Hill, all the big stuff. So as I look at 250 episodes, I guess I'm just sort of tying it back to all the Revolutionary War anniversaries. And also, it, it's just a big number. Jake, you and I are both transplants to Boston. Could you walk us through your history with the hub? Yeah, I moved to Boston. Well, I've moved. I've actually moved to Boston three times in my life. But the time that I count for the most part is I came here in 97, 1997 for school. Like many, many, many Boston residents, not a Boston native. I showed up here, like I said, in 1997 to attend Northeastern University. I love the town. I made the mistake after college of leaving the town. <laughs> and I pretty quickly realized that leaving had been a mistake and that I needed to get back to Boston as soon as I could. I've lived in different places around. When I was in college, I lived in the Mission Hill Northeastern area. I lived in Somerville for a while. I lived in, in Alston for a while. And then after I moved back to Boston, I lived in Mission Hill, right on Parker Hill Ave. That was a great apartment. I can't believe I gave it up in retrospect. I lived in Watertown. And then since 2009, I've lived in the Hyde Park neighborhood here in Boston. But I say I've moved to Boston three times because also when I was an infant, my parents took jobs in the Boston area. And so we lived in Quincy for uh, the first few years of my life. One of my little claims to fame is I feel like I'm one of the, the few civilians who can say I've been to Long Island and Boston Harbor. 
because I have no memory of it. But when the tall ships came in, I think in 1980 or maybe 81, mm-hmm. my mom says she put me in the basket on the back of her bike and rode out to Long Island across the Moon Island Causeway. The uh, It's usually closed to the public, but for the, for the tall ships, they're allowing residents of Quincy specifically to go out and watch the tall ships from out there. So I got to oh, do that. Cool. Uh, little bragging rights, even though I, like I say, I have zero memory of actually doing that. I mean, what's amazing is that I've been here for, for 25 years now, not counting that first, that first stint as an infant. Wow. I'm getting old. Well, I would consider you a true blue Bostonian for sure. Uh, you, you know, even though you didn't grow up in the South, you know, all this other stuff, <laughs> uh, you've definitely been around and uh, been here for quite a long time. Yeah. My adoptive hometown. I can't claim to be from Boston, but Boston is my home. How did you get into the actual history of Boston? What, what sparked your interest in that? And what would you say is particular about Boston's history? Yeah, I guess going, going way back, I actually had a conversation with my mom sometime in the past year or so. We, we were the sort of family when I was growing up, you know, we were middle class, but we weren't like awash in money. We, I grew up in very rural Appalachia where, you know, the, sort of the, the bar for middle, middle class may be different than some other places. But we weren't the sort of like we didn't ever go to Disneyland. We didn't go to you know, a lot of the, the typically we didn't go to Myrtle Beach. We would go to like Antietam or Gettysburg or Yorktown because uh, they're all sort of within a day's drive and mostly free except for like the gas to get there. And if you got a hotel overnight, all my memories of of kind of like childhood vacations and activities are all kind of history based. And then a, a lot of the credit for sparking interest in, in Boston history in particular comes from my my wife and, and co-host of the show, Emerita, Nikki, when she was in, I'm not sure if she was in undergrad or if she was in law school at the time, but at, at some point she got a job with one of the ghost tour outfits in Boston, first as a guide and then doing back office kind of stuff. And through that, we ended up starting our own walking tour company just to, to, to treat the history a little more seriously than a lot of the ghost tours do. I guess we started that in 2012. We ran that for two summers. We had a great time. It ended up taking up all of our time and we didn't get rich from it. And after a couple of seasons, we had to just say like, well, we're hanging up our boots. It just precluded any other activities. We were doing that six days a week, but it was fun. And we, you know, we really got into, we developed, we had a tour of the back Bay focusing mm-hmm. on sort of the creation of the back Bay landfill project. We had a tour ah. of the North end focused on pirates and Patriots. We had a, 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 Historical crimes and scandals of Beacon Hill walking tour. We had, we had several we had a, a Halloween theme tour. So we had several tours. I feel like we were doing good history. So we wanted to find ways to keep doing that. For a while, I was, I was, um, I had adapted some of our, our tour material. I was doing some classes, uh, teaching some classes at the Cambridge Center for Adult Ed. And through that, I got hooked up with an outfit called History Camp. So I did some volunteer work with them for a couple of years. And then Nikki and I both. We're volunteer docents at the Shirley Eustace House uh, Historic Home in, in Roxbury for the summer of 2016. And that's where the idea of doing a podcast was born. We uh, were having a slow afternoon one weekend, probably a Saturday afternoon. And we we're in sort of the, the bullpen area where the docents would hang out in between tours, waiting for our, our turn to go out and, and show somebody the house. And we we're just trading stories back and forth, just trying to one-up each other with weird or offbeat or unknown stories about Boston history. And at some point it was like, whoa, wait a minute. We actually know 
a lot of crazy stories about Boston. Let's start writing some of this down. So somewhere I have a steno pad with a list of maybe 20 or 25 topics that was the sort of the germ of the idea of what would become hub history a few months later after I did some research on. So how do you start a podcast? Mm-hmm. What is it? What what are these, these microphones and things that people need to start a podcast? So, you know, there are a few months of like technical research and, and yeah. idea development and things like that. But we, we ended up starting the podcast in October 2016. I think it was the week before Halloween. We kicked off our first episode was about, about Pope's Night in Boston, sort of a ancient uh, New England tra- tradition oh, yeah. of hating Catholics <laughs> and burning the Pope in effigy and things like that. All those, you know, wholesome activities that one would get into in, in pre-revolutionary Boston. Pre-revolutionary Boston, childhood travels. When I was a kid, I lived when my parents finally got enough money to take us on vacations. Uh, we lived in Southern Maryland. That was really close. And we used to go to all the places around there in Williamsburg, Virginia. So I've been to the water country. I've been to the Bush Gardens and we went to that colonial Williamsburg. I bet you I've been 10 times. Have you been to Williamsburg and how is it different from the, from the Boston experience? Yeah, it's, it's funny. Nikki and I just went to colonial Williamsburg for the first time a couple of months ago. Dude, my parents are there right now. Is that right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Somehow with all the, so the heritage tourism, I guess one would call it today that we did as a kid that never made it onto the list. I, I know I went to the Yorktown battlefield, which is like 15 minutes away down the road. As I'm looking at Williamsburg for the first time in like March or April, it's a reproduction. I, I, I didn't realize it until I was there. Like I'm going through and I'm looking at like the photos of the restorations. It's all sort of like early to mid 20th century creations. Even the paint, evoke- you can tell just by the paint. <laughs> Right. I didn't realize this until I was there. And I, I, I was really let down by the experience in Williamsburg because I'm used to Boston where, yes, all our historic sites are sort of wedged in between, you know, modern towers and, and, you know, there's a Dunkin' Donuts on either side of everything. But it's the real thing. Like, yeah. yes, Faneuil Hall was expanded and changed in the Boston 19th century. Massacre happened where you're standing. <laughs> right. You know, and yeah, the old state house, there was a fire. It burned to the bare walls in 1711, but it's still the same building. Like it's on the site. It's the real building. It's all, it's authentic in a way that Colonial Williamsburg just wasn't. It felt really weird. And I was really let down by it. I found that here in Boston, it's mostly just like people telling you about what happened, you know, green shirt, national parks, whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Williamsburg, my parents just sent me a, a video. It's all like reenactors. Have dinner with Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> I have I have strong feelings about that. Um, <laughs> I can't. I have a really hard time relating to first person historical interpreters. For for me, when I'm when I'm trying to really learn at a historic site, I I have a hard time learning from the person who won't break character. So for for me, the perfect example is Plymouth Plantation here in Mass, right? So in the village, you know, the the interpreters are all their first person. They've done extensive research on the characters they portray, the era they live in, all that. You know, I have have a a close friend who used to be an interpreter there. And, you know, they do a lot of research. They're very knowledgeable, but they never break character. And for me, like, I can't ask questions about 
context and like compare eras and like, oh, well, how did that change going into the 18th century? Then you walk down the little path and into the woods and there's the Wampanoag village right there also. And the Wampanoags are also costumed interpreters. They're, you know, they are members of the Wampanoag nation. Oh, okay. But they're not first person interpreters. They're costumed. They are talking about what their ancestors did, but they, they can give historical context. They can compare eras. And th- so I actually learn a lot more from interesting that interchange where I can talk about, okay, so what were things like then compared to now or compared to a different historical era? So yeah, Williamsburg is very, it's kind of hokey. Um, there's, I don't know if you I, did it, was, it. I, it was fun. I had a good time. Yeah. I don't want to give the wrong idea, but, yeah, it's, it's, but I was a little bit let down by the inauthenticity. Well, you were not let down by the amount of gift shops because there's plenty of them. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I bought, I bought my share of magnets for sure. <laughs> Listeners as a tease, our next episode will be an interview with an author about a, a, a new book about the creation of the freedom trail and the creation of the Boston national historic park. Oh, very cool. So reading that, it was it was really interesting as the historic park was being pulled together right before the bicentennial in the sort of the mid seventies. There was a lot of thought that that Williamsburg would be the model, and they were talking about demolishing big swaths of what's now really? like the North End oh. and all, all these buildings that weren't here in the Revolution have got to go. And then we're going to bring in all these first, you know, these reenactors, and we'll have like uh-huh. a colonial village set up, and so. It could have been a very different path for Boston if, if some decisions had been made differently. So wow. tune in next time. We'll talk more about that yeah, after I finish it. the book. <laughs> uh, so you talked about you and Nikki uh, being at the Shirley Eustace house, being docents there. Um, and so you kick off the podcast and Nikki is host emerita. Yes. What exactly yeah. does that mean? If you, if if I'm sure your listeners already know, but enlighten me a little bit and tell us uh, maybe a little about her, her journey. For the first two or three years, at least, of the show, Nikki and I were very much equal partners in creating the show. We would trade weeks back and forth. So each one of us would essentially have two weeks to prepare a show. One of us would write a show, we would both present it. Then the other one would would write a show and we'd both present it. And then, you know, professionally, things started changing for her after about three years or so. She, She took a step back. She would still come on and present with me sometimes and occasionally write a show, but taking less and less of an active part in making the show. And then she got a, an amazing job offer uh, a little while back. And so she formally left the show and that's when she became the co-host Emerita uh, when she left to be the executive director of the old North foundation. So the organization that runs the old North historic site on the freedom trail. Wow. Uh, so she, you know, I really miss having her on the show. I miss being able to, you know, share the load of creating the show, but she got really just a, his, a history lover's dream job. So you can't begrudge somebody for taking that. So everybody go you know, visit old North, buy stuff at the gift shop, buy a ticket to, to the crypt and all that. They're coming up. 2023 will be the 300th anniversary of uh, the church itself. And then in 2025 will be the, uh, the 250th anniversary of the the lantern signals from from the steeple there. So a lot of exciting stuff coming up for her, but unfortunately not as part of my podcast. Uh-huh. <laughs> and the, the the funny thing is, <laughs> you know, I, I catch myself, I try I'm, I've been trying to train myself after years of saying we do the podcast and you know, welcome to Hub History where we go far beyond the Freedom Trail and this is our favorite stories from Boston history. I'm sure new listeners who tune in are like, 
what's with this guy? Does he have some sort of like complex? Does he think he's the king, like the royal we? It's been a tough adjustment. I still haven't, the language still hasn't caught up with several years of doing it as a solo show now. It's nice. I like it. Cause uh, now, and, and uh, since I've known, I've, I've known that that's how it started. You know, it's kind of like back yeah. to the roots kind of thing. I think it's nice. Sweet. It's nice. It's sweet. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure even our guests sometimes, cause I'll say like, thanks for joining us here today. And, uh, <laughs> Okay. Okay. Us. <laughs> my uh, my wife is uh, well is and probably still is obsessed with Paul Revere, and she would. I'm going to go after this. Go tell her that your wife is in charge of the old North Church, North Church, and she'll be wicked jealous for sure. Paul Revere is a is just such an omnipresent figure mm-hmm. in Boston history. He, he lived a long time. He was present in a lot of stories from you know his famous ride from all the the suffolk resolves and all the the sort of pre-revolutionary activities through the disastrous penobscot expedition where he got court-martialed for alleged cowardice he was found the charges were not sustained but where basically the entire u.s fleet was destroyed in the worst naval defeat before pearl harbor to there's a sort of a nascent historic site where they're restoring in, in Canton mass, where they're restoring his uh, boundary where, where so much of his actual industrial work happened, but he had an enormous factory in Canton where he made bells and cannons and you know, all kinds of stuff. So talking about things turning into episodes. Now you mentioned the, the steno pad. Yeah. It was a yellow or white. Uh, it was yellow. Nice. Good memory. Uh, when you are looking for looking out for, new topics, new episodes, like you just did. It's great that I just saw you do it. (laughs) When that happens, what happens next? When you get the idea, when you see something online or hear something, what's next in that process? The whole show runs out of Google Docs. I would be adrift without our friends at Google. Um, I have a, a spreadsheet that I started in the summer of 2016 before the show was born, where we put those first, you know, I took those ideas from the Stenopad and put them into a spreadsheet and I've just kept adding to it ever since. And it's like, I have a column for just sort of like what the name of the idea is, if there's a specific date attached to the idea, and then a column just for sources. So when I have downtime at work or a free evening and I'm bored with TV or whatever it might be, I'll do a little online research. I'll Google whatever topic I'll go, you know, I have a dozen or so really rich online archives I like to consult. So I'll go in and just see, uh, are there sources behind the story I heard about? And if there are, I'll start dropping sources into the spreadsheet. Yeah, I'm usually working a couple weeks out now. It, it varies. Sometimes I'm right down to the wire. So when it's time to decide on what that next topic's going to be, I'll go into the spreadsheet. I'll sort of look at that sources column and say, ooh, there's a lot here. I, I could do an episode on that. There are enough sources there. And so I'll, I'll go in and start reading through the sources, trying to grab the interesting quotes. And those sources usually lead me to more and hopefully to, to primary sources where I can get to the actual, you know, the words of the people involved. And when, once I, once I have those sources and I've started to, to do the reading, I've found the interest, interesting quotes. The, the process is almost always, this is an interesting quote, paste that into my script document and I paste a few quotes in there. And then it's like, well, I need some context to bridge between these two. Quotes. So all of a sudden I'm writing uh, without even realizing that I had started writing. I'll start writing that script. You know, our goal hour. I see. I did it again. We did it again. Um, <laughs> my goal. Oh, tear. My goal at this point is basically somewhere between, between 10 and 20 pages um, makes up an episode and that, That'll usually average out to about an hour-ish 
um, give or take. I try not to go much more than an hour and a half, much less than a half an hour. But if I land in that that hour ish range, I'm happy. You know, that takes up almost. I, I, I say I do the research on evenings when I'm, when I'm not watching TV, but that's kind of a lie because I'm almost always trying to research <laughs> or write something to do with this show because it just takes up every every minute of my waking time. I have an inter- interview with uh, this author tomorrow. I was up until like one thirty last night trying to finish his book and take some notes and get some questions written out. And then I, I got so close to the end and I realized I had read the same paragraph like 10 times. I had nodded off at the end of it every time. I was like, all right, we, we have to go to bed now. <laughs> After we hang up here this evening, I'm going to, I'm going to finish that book. Those last 10 pages, last couple of questions and get ready for that interview. I, tomorrow. I said it, I said it when you were on Pilgrim's Digress, it's great to fall asleep doing something you love. I think that's uh, that's something that if you're feeling like if anybody's feeling stuck somewhere, find something you love, falsely doing it, you know. It feels good to be productive, you know, even if all it is is a podcast. <laughs> Just by listening to your process and uh, and all the work you put in, I, by trade I'm a history teacher. I have a a master's degree, but not in teaching. I have it in history, uh, and to me. You're halfway there. You're halfway done with a master's <laughs> on your way to on your way to PhD with that kind of work for sure. Lord. Hey, future Jake here again. I probably should have pointed out that unlike Aaron, I don't have a history degree. I actually gave up on history class after about the 11th grade, but I rediscovered a love of history outside the classroom much later in life. Um, so there's that part of the, of the, of the show. Um, and you talked a little bit earlier about technical stuff. How long did it take you to really feel comfortable with your voice, with listening to yourself? I, I love your cadence on the show. I, it keeps me involved, like audibly. I don't, it's hard to explain, but um, the way that it's all paced out, it makes a great picture in my head. How long did it take you to f- find your cadence and your voice? When we started, we were still weekly. It's a it's a biweekly, sh- semi weekly, whatever. Every other week show now, fortnightly show now. <laughs> um, but when we started out, it was a weekly show. And if I look back, it probably took 30 episodes or so to start finding our sea legs in terms of, of the material. Uh, we've actually re-recorded a number of the very earliest episodes because they, looking back, there was just not enough detail. You know, we would cover things like the, the 1919 molasses flood in, you know, eight minutes. Oh. Um, before Nikki left the show, we went back and sort of re-researched, rewrote that and re-released an episode that was more, I think it was like 40 minutes, 45 minutes, which is a much more appropriate sort of overview of, of the molasses flood. I want to say it took 30-ish episodes to really find our stride in researching and writing and you know, how much detail to put into the show. In terms of my voice and like the pacing and how the show is delivered, I've that probably took even longer. I, that w- it was at least a year, maybe more. At the time, it sounded good to me. <laughs> it's o- it's only in retrospect from a perspective six years on that I realize how wooden or forced or sometimes rushed. Sometimes, you know, the, the pacing was always a little off. The delivery was always a little. It's hard, especially now that it's a solo show. It's hard to just sit alone in a room and and talk and have it come out kind of naturally. I know it's not all, even so, like, I know I have a little bit of a radio voice. It's a little bit forced sounding. Part of the reason the show takes so much time, <laughs> pulling back the curtain a little bit, you know, I'll write this script. It'll be in an hour's worth of material, a 15 page script, something like that. But my recording session for that might be three hours no. because 
I'm the sort of person I'll, I'll say the same sentence 10 times over until I get the inflection just the way I want it to be. And that, that's what is what, what took so much time a year, a couple of years was to be able to hear it in real time and know when something needed to be redone or when yeah. something sounded off when I needed to just stop and rewrite this paragraph to be a little more natural sounding. Oh, uh, yeah. That, that took a long time. When I, I look back on the, the earliest shows, the first, you know, dozen, 20, 50 shows, I'm like, oh, yeah, that needed five more takes to get that to come out right. You know, and the, there are things where I definitely know that it, it didn't sound right in retrospect, but at the time I thought it was great. <laughs> Probably in five more years, if I'm still, still doing the show in five more years, I'll look back at something I did this week and say, oh, man, you should have done five more takes on that. That sounds terrible, Jake. <laughs> 250 episodes, six years. How have things changed? And if things did change, was it on purpose? There have been a few things, a, a few natural evolutions, and then some things that we deliberately changed. The format of the show has changed a few times. Well, for the first several years, I really, I felt like we needed to fill out the show. Um, so we had additional segments. So for the first year, we had This Week in Boston History. So before we'd present the 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 narrative for that week, whatever the story that week was, I would go through and for each day of the coming week, I would give like a factoid from that day in Boston history, which is great until, you know, you're listening to an episode six months from now. I I hadn't really internalized that idea of, of, you know, timeless content. (laughs) Right. And we've even, we've gotten some negative reviews on iTunes because of that or on Apple podcasts because of that, because people will go back and listen to it a year after it was released and say, oh, I've got to fast forward for, through the first 15 minutes of the show to get to your story. Like what's going on here. So we, we did away with that after the first year, but I still, I, I just, I felt like our, our narratives weren't strong enough to stand on their own. And honestly, in those first year, couple of years, I was probably right. It probably wasn't strong enough to stand on its own. So we had for a while, a, well, let me remember the order of things happened. We had a historic site of the week where we'd sort of highlight and do, you know, a few minutes about a historic site in the Boston area that lasted maybe a year or maybe two years. And then we had a Boston book club pick. So we'd have a book or some media, sometimes it was a movie or documentary, but usually a book about Boston that we'd feature do a few minutes about that and upcoming events. But again, once you start talking about upcoming events, then that also isn't timeless content, right? So in conjunction with, Nikki officially leaving the show, me moving the show to to every other week. I also just simplified. We just, I just introduced the show and I do this week's topic and that's it now. And part of the reason I'm comfortable with that is I feel like the research, the writing, the, the stories have gotten stronger. Um, so they can stand on their own. They are, you know, a, a decent length of content. They're a decent quality of content where in the first year, a couple of years, yeah, maybe they need a little help. <laughs> My son was making a project for school and he kept drawing stuff and getting frustrated with it. And I was just telling him, and I think this is kind of what you're getting at. A lot of art is just being able to trash pieces of whatever you're doing. Just continually just like, nope, nope, throw it away and just growing in that way. And that's what it sounds like uh, that happened with you guys. Yeah. And- a few times I've gotten deep and I've written 20 pages on a topic and realized it was crap and just trashed it three times. I've tried to start an episode about the disestablishment of the congregational church in Massachusetts, where up until the 1820s, I think it was, we had an official state religion 
in Massachusetts. And, you know, towns had to, had to financially support the congregational church. Mm-hmm. And so I've tried three different times to write an episode about the end of that and how that, that came to be. And I'm just not smart enough. You know, when you, when you get a lot of material together and then you read it and you realize you're nowhere with it, that's painful, but sometimes you just have to kill your babies. That's good creativity, man. Um, Speaking of good creativity, six years, 250 episodes in 2020. Don't be modest. (laughs) You told me the show won Boston Hub History, won a preservation award. What was that about? Well, who was that from? And why do you think you won that? That was from the Boston Preservation Alliance. They're very focused on architecture and on, um, obviously, historic preservation. Honestly, I, I couldn't tell you how <laughs> how we came to win. The, usually, the winners of, of Boston Preservation Achievement Awards are developers. So, not, not the year that we won it, but the year that we could actually go in person to accept our award. One of the winners was a former monastery in Brighton that had been adaptive and i don't know why it was no longer a monastery but it was adaptively reused into to housing and offices and a few other things beautiful beautiful space so that's usually what wins a, a preservation achievement award but there have been a few times when books uh, i think either 2021 or 2022 joe bagley the the city archaeologist for boston won for uh, his book about the 50 oldest buildings in boston they're it's at one point a, a, a blog about uh, historic architecture one, but in 2020, our podcast one, yes, sir. which we're not strictly focused on architecture or preservation, but we're obviously history based. And we try to talk about place uh, whenever we can to try and uh, it makes it relatable for the listener. If they can picture themselves standing on a street in modern Boston, where something historic took place. So right. we try to be very descriptive of places in in Boston that relates to buildings. We've had a a few episodes specifically about the preservation movement. I think one in particular, maybe three years ago about how old South meeting house and uh, the old state house were saved right around the centennial in the 18, 1876. But that's, that's, that's kind of like a one-off. We don't always talk about preservation. So I was very, very flattered (laughs) to win that award. It's great for the medium. It's great for the for the commu- for the podcast community too to but like put that in the same rank as books and architecture and archaeology. That's great. Yeah, it was great for my ego too. <laughs> <laughs> You're the most humble man I've ever met. That's <laughs> <laughs> only because you haven't met my wife. <laughs> hey, listeners! Another note from Future Jake. It hasn't been announced yet, but it turns out that Hub History is now actually a double award-winning podcast. Stay tuned for an exciting announcement on Twitter on June 7th, or I'll mention it in an upcoming podcast. Oh, man. So you got that award, and uh, you're, you're feeling good. And um, what do you think is in the future for Boston Hub History? I mean, we, we got through COVID okay. Well, and uh, this may, I think this is the first episode that I've recorded post COVID. I actually got COVID right at the beginning of May. Um, so if listeners are not used to hearing me heave big breaths in between talking, <laughs> I'm very worried that I might have long COVID because I'm, you know, I'm, I had a super mild case of COVID. Uh, we got Paxlovid, really seemed to knock it out, but I haven't been able to catch my breath for a month now. Oh, man. Well, Hope that doesn't put any damper on any 
plans? What, what, what is going, going forward for, for Hub History? We're right in the middle of uh, a spate of, of interviews. We've, in the past few weeks, listeners will have heard uh, Rebels at Sea with Eric J. Dolan about privateering and the American Revolution. And the week after this, or the, the next episode after this comes out, it will be with Seth Brueggemann, like we talked about, the history of the Freedom Trail in Boston National Historic Park. I have some lines in on uh, a new book about Kindle Square as sort of an innovation hub. Hopefully going to have an interview with a, a new collection of uh, Cotton Mather's writings, the, the editors of that. Looking forward to that. Hopefully we make that happen. There's also a new book coming out about the, it's called the Nazis of Copley Square. It's about what's called the Christian Front, which we actually had coincidentally (laughs) right after the, the January 6th, 2021 insurrection. Um, Say it. I released an episode right after that, that I'd had in development for a while about the Christian Front's attempted coup in 1940. But there's a, I think he's a BC professor, I want to say, don't, don't quote me on that, who's written a book about them, the Christian Front and their presence in Boston, the, the late 30s and 40s. So that, that hopefully will be coming up. But then looking a little further forward, there are a couple of cool things coming up on the, the horizon, a little fur- further out, probably late summer, fall. Uh, one of which hopefully will be sort of a multi interview story about the, Olmsted Bicentennial. So Frederick Law Olmsted, the great landscape architect who created Central Park in New York and uh, landscapes all over America, but was Elm huge. Park in Worcester. Okay. Yeah. They're in Worcester and hugely influential here in Boston with our Emerald Necklace Parks, the incomplete em- Emerald Necklace Parks. Mm-hmm. I got contacted by some folks who had some, some good ideas about a pretty wide ranging, ambitious show we could put together about that. So that hopefully that will be coming together. And then I got contacted by an independent researcher who has just a wealth of materials about the AIDS crisis in Boston. She had been a, a volunteer during those years at Fenway Health, uh, which was just on the on the front lines of mm-hmm. of AIDS treatment and support for the community and all that sort of thing. But she she's conducted oral histories and she has just a ton of material. So hopefully we'll be able to create something out of that for for later this fall. If we can, it's only because of my own deficiencies. The the work that she's done is is really phenomenal. So hopefully, we can make uh, something beautiful out of that. the The material is amazing. I will be the only one to blame if we can't make something great out of that. Do you? They both sound like it's a change in mode for you. Yeah, the closest thing I've done to that episode, I want to say it was episode two hundred. Was again, like I mentioned earlier sort of redid some of our very earliest episodes. And one of those early episodes was about Rebecca Crumpler, who was the first black woman to be awarded a medical degree in the United States in 1864. And so it was one of those situations where, you know, it was very early in the podcast. Her story took up like 12 minutes. It was poorly sourced, poorly written, and honestly, poorly delivered. So all around, just a, a, a winning effort on my part. But um, in the summer of 2020, for episode 200, I redid that show. I wove in audio from a, a celebration of her life that was held in the Fairview Cemetery here in Hyde Park. Some some folks in the Hyde Park Historical Society and through the Hyde, Friends of the Hyde Park Library got together and raised money to mark her and her husband Arthur's graves in 
the Fairview Cemetery for 150 years. They had been in unmarked graves, which is oh, not <laughs> fitting of, of the achievement that she had had in her lifetime. So, uh, but as part of that, I recorded the different speakers. And so that's really the closest I've come to sort of that tapestry approach, sort of the radio lab, this American life, all the this mm-hmm. different speakers. Usually it's just me or it's mm-hmm. me and one interviewee. Uh, so hopefully what I learned from episode 200 will carry forward into these sort of richer episodes we're planning. Fingers crossed. Like I say, if, if we can't pull it off, it's not my partner's fault at all. It's just me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when did you start doing uh, your Patreon stuff? Uh, I didn't really start hearing that in the episodes until uh, I want to say like halfway through or so. Yeah, that's about right. I want to say it was maybe around the third year. I, and I, I'm listening to, I was like, man, you have the greatest Patreon pitch I've ever heard. And I've heard a lot of them. <laughs> I mean, when, when I do mine, I'm just like, I need, I, all I want to, this is what I say. I only want to pay for the podcast hosting. <laughs> I've got a job. <laughs> that's, that's all I got. But yours is great. It's very explicit. And like, tell me about how you got around to that. And uh, what, what, what do your patrons even get? I don't even know. The week I went to see Hamilton in NYC, I released an episode about dueling in Boston. I've listened to that one. I love okay. That one. Yeah. A few like outstanding uh, incidents of, of dueling involving Boston and Bostonians. I was really proud of it. I was like trying to tag all these kind of prominent people like, Hey, you should retweet me on this. And then I realized that I was, as I was trying to promote this, our, our website was down because somebody had gotten in and, and, done things to it uh so i had to upgrade our our security things we can't repeat (laughs) yeah they just yeah they they just (laughs) redirected all the links to spam links basically uh it was it was awesome you you look very annoyed telling me (laughs) well so i'm like on my phone like in a cab in new york trying to like undo these changes it was yeah it was bad I, i had to start paying a little more i had been doing everything myself but basically securing the site it turns out I'm not that good at. <laughs> um, so I had to start paying somebody for that. And that made me sort of take stock. And you know, the, the show as a whole between hosting, media hosting for the podcast, uh, web hosting for the companion website, and then security was actually our biggest uh, expense for a while. And then there are little things like upgrading our mics, or I, I really want this summer to change to a new hosting platform with better stats and things like that. So there just came a point where I was, I realized that maybe I could ask somebody else to bear some of these costs. <laughs> um, so, so that's, that's basically, I think what you're saying that the focus pitch, I just lay out here are the things that I pay for. I pay for web hosting and security. I pay for podcast media hosting. I pay for, you know, they're like three or four things I list and, and then I try to acknowledge folks who have, have given recently or talk about a project that's coming up that's going to take some funding just to, to sort of lay out what, what you're actually supporting. If you, if you give to our Patreon, which patreon.com slash up history, uh, check it out. But also I, I've been very mixed on how well I deliver on, on what I promise to our, our sponsors. We have a, a few different benchmarks levels. So I, I say, you know, $2 a month, $5 a month, $10 a month are sort of like the different levels. So. On paper, <laughs> what you get for that is everybody gets uh, a sticker. And at $5 a month, the perk is a monthly video chat with me or us. And that's where I have to say I'm very inconsistent in actually <laughs> offering that. So like every couple of months, I actually remember to do that. And 
it's even less often that our pa- patrons uh, actually take me up on that. Uh, but you totally have the opportunity to have a little Zoom meeting with me and, you know, we could talk about uh, our recent and upcoming shows and things like that. Yeah. And then our, our, at our highest level, there's a walking tour as part of that. With COVID, we haven't actually done that for the past two years. Yeah, it sucks. Probably as we're coming out. I mean, I say we're coming out of COVID. I just had COVID. <laughs> but probably as we're coming out of that, I'll, I don't know that it'll always be a walking tour, but hopefully it'll be something in person. Maybe we'll all get together and go to one of the Boston, like a Freedom Trail site. A Green Dragon. Something like yeah. that. Yeah. Something as a group. Hopefully in person as as the risk of that becomes a little less. You suggested another podcast to me, La Brega. And yeah. I got I got four or five deep, and it's really good. Yeah, La, La, La Brega is a really cool podcast about the history of Puerto Rico and the U.S. and the relationship between the two. And it's it's special because it's a bilingual podcast. So if you look at their feed, it's you know episode one English, episode one Spanish, episode two English, episode two Spanish. So it runs through a hundred ish years of colonial history in, in Puerto Rico. What other podcasts have you been listening to since we've, since we talked or even then? Oh man. Well, I'm, I'm trying to figure out when you actually listen to podcasts since you're doing your own for so long every day. Yeah. I mean, I listen to podcasts whenever I'm doing anything else, basically. So pre COVID, I was a big runner. I'm trying, trying to get back. Um, it, it's not going well. Uh, I'm trying to get back to, to running. I was, you know, I, I ran marathons for, for years. I've officially retired from marathons, but like still run, run a good bit. So if I'm mowing the lawn, washing the dishes out for a run in my car, I'm listening to podcasts. You know, any other time I'm not listening to a podcast, I'm working on the podcast. So it works out. I like to listen to a lot of history podcasts. Obviously I like local podcasts to Boston. Obviously there's a podcast that I love. It's not a history podcast, but it is local. It's called Greater Boston. So all the, the creators are from Boston. I just saw them on the Twitterverse. Oh, yeah? It's Have you listened? No, I haven't listened. I, I just found them on there. Have they been around for a while? Yeah. they they. What is this that they're in right now? Season four, maybe? So they, they released three seasons, and they took a long hiatus. And now they're mm, back with a fourth season. But it's it's a fiction podcast. So it's an audio right. um what do they call it? Audio drama. Yeah. Maybe it's set in contemporary Boston, but it's a slightly tweaked, like slightly sci-fi version of Boston where things are never quite what they seem. And the red line has voted to secede and set up its independent town of red line. As time goes on, it, it, you know, the characters, you get very invested in these characters and it, it becomes more and more, uh, sort of socially aware as time goes on. So the the last couple seasons are very focused on uh, the history of redlining in Boston and sort of housing crisis in Boston, racial justice in Boston, the Black Lives Matter movement. It's very good on that right now. I I've had a guy on a good friend, um, Mike Gagney. He does one about more like a fantasy horror type of things called um, Boston Harbor Horror. Huh. And I can uh, check that out. You you really say he's three he's three seasons deep and I wanted to be on it so bad. <laughs> <laughs> and so he let me be on like uh he let me voice a, a one on like an extra episode or something. So it reminds me a lot of that because he he references a lot of the same places uh, in the area and I bet you he knows them, you know what I'm saying? You know, uh we all stick together like that. But Greater Boston, let me look that up right now. What else are you listening to? 
So locally, I'm I'm pretty sure it's accurate to say that Hub History was the first Boston History podcast, which I'm proud of. But there have been a lot since then. I no particular order. The Paul Revere House has a show called Revere House Radio, where they delve into objects or events or anything like that relating to the Paul Revere House. WBUR and the Globe did a series on the Isabella Stewart Gar- Gardner heist called Last Scene, uh, which is just really phenomenal. Really featured Anthony Amore, the current head of security at the the Isabella Stewart Gardner House, who, shout out, hello, Anthony, I know you're a listener. Uh, he's reached out to us a few times. We did a, an episode a while back about a heist at uh, the Harvard Fog Museum, the Fog uh, Art Museum at Harvard. And he, he's a serious student of art heists in New England because he's trying to prevent them. Uh, so he, yeah. he, he reached out to me after that episode to say that we had, we had done it justice. So that was nice. There's the channel story, Boston venue, which is about this iconic, uh, 1980s rock club in Boston, the channel. They talk about the music scene. They bring in different musical guests to talk and sometimes perform everybody from Dickie Barrett of the Boston's to, reggae stars, metal bands. And they talk about how the venue was eventually basically driven out of existence by the Boston mob. Uh, so that's a very interesting story. And some of the founders of the club are the sort of the main presenters. Another one of these sort of limited series, um, the first season of People's History was all about the Columbia Point housing projects, the Columbia Point public housing, and using that as a lens through which to see Boston's struggles with housing costs going back to the 1950s, Boston's uh, racial justice movement starting in the the 50s and 60s and taking the whole story up through the 80s, the 90s, the turn of the century. Really well done. There's old Dirty Boston. The Mass Historical Society just started a show. They're up to maybe eight or 10 episodes called The Object of History. And their episode about the the 54th Massachusetts Volunteer Regiment, the uh, the first black regiment the the subject of the movie glory uh i was out i, I don't remember what i was doing but i w- i was just walking down the street bawling yes um <laughs> from the way they had had presented the risks yep the costs the the consequences of war were so much higher mm-hmm. for the men who volunteered for the 54th mm-hmm. um, they wouldn't be sent to pow camps they wouldn't it, and andersonville was horrible but the men of the 54th wouldn't be sent there. They would either be immediately murdered mm-hmm. or enslaved. And just you know, thinking about the decisions that they made and the sheer guts mm-hmm. it took to, to look that in the face and still sign your name. So the, the object of history has been really phenomenal. There's Old Dirty Boston. There's Crime of the Truest Kind, which is a, a true crime, obviously, from the title ep, uh, show, but very focused on Boston, the Boston area. So we were the first, but there are so many great shows focused on history here in Boston now. I have this dream of starting some sort of like, I don't know, a, a convention or something of local history podcasts from all over the country because there are dozens and dozens and dozens of them now. Every city has some sort of great history podcast. You know, I listen regularly. I listen to East Bay yesterday about the Bay Area and San Francisco, usually about Oakland and the surrounding area. I listen to the hidden history of LA. I listen to mainly history, M A I N E L Y, mainly history about the history of Maine. Bowery Boys from NYC, 
they don't create new episodes that often, but when they do the, uh, the Bishop museum in Hawaii has a great podcast, but then there are just dozens and dozens of awesome history podcasts from around the country. I don't listen to to that many <laughs> more than, than that, but I'm trying, I'm trying to work more into my rotation. And I just love that. Yeah. You know, the people who love a community, a city, a region yeah. who go deep on it. Yeah. I love it. Uh, so I would love to bring those voices together in some way. In the yeah, future. there's a, there's a convention or a network some, somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's like back in the early days of, of blogs and sort of the early days of the web, like, do you remember the web ring where you'd all like people on the same topic, you'd all like link your sites to one another. I feel like there's something to be done for that for, for local history. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Wow. We covered a lot today, huh? <laughs> I guess. Well, I, I told you I had a couple in my pocket that I wanted to throw out to you and see, get your thoughts on it. Now, I, I did put this in the notes though, but when I first started listening to podcasts, I was really into lore. Remember lore? Yeah. Oh yeah. Aaron. He was also an Aaron, right? Yes. And uh, not Sorkin. That's the writer. I was going to say Minky, but that's Minkin. Minkin. Mink Minkin. Okay. Yeah. Hey, I think this is the final correction from future Jake listeners. Just dropping in one last time to say that the host of lore is Aaron Mankey. That's M-A-H-N-K-E. Sorry, Aaron. Well, his turned into a show. Yeah. If yours turned into a show, what would that be like? What episodes do you think would work best? I just thought of that question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Put me on the spot. Oh, what episodes would work best? Like my, like my favorite is the, the, the train, the train crash one. I think that would be a the great, break, that would be right? great TV. You could maybe animate the crash itself. There are some photos of the aftermath. Yeah. You could, you could put that together. There's an episode... I actually just did it as a rerun recently, which uh, has it in my head that there are, there are two related about guns in Boston shootings in, in the Boston area. So one is about the Millen brothers. It was the 1930s. Don't quote me on exactly what year in the 1930s. They stole a state police Tommy gun and basically and went out over <laughs> they went on a crime spree they started out in Needham so sleepy Needham is like a Boston yeah. suburb but, you know the first police officer killed in the line of duty there was killed with a stolen Tommy gun that was stolen from the Mass State Police so it's this crazy story about this this is these two brothers and then one of the brothers uh, fiance and then another friend of theirs who formed like a a gang basically they are robbing banks. They're killing people. Then they go on the run. They're eventually captured in uh, Washington, D.C., I think. Maybe NYC. Like the, the investigation took them to both both cities. But it's just this crazy story. And there's, there are lots of photos, lots of visual material from their trial in uh, Dedham District Court. An accomplice of theirs broke into prison in Dedham to try to break them out. Uh, and ended up like shooting a shotgun in the prison and crazy. I mean, it was a crazy story. The two brothers and the other accomplice all ended up getting executed uh, in the electric chair at Charlestown. And then the, the fiance was rehabilitated and went on to just like a quiet housewife's life in the 1940s. The story plays into the, there, were, there was an ongoing debate about gun control at the time in the 1930s that ended up culminating in the law that makes it illegal for you and me to own machine guns. So it's just, you know, it's a very weird interplay of crime and legislation and 
just these these odd things that people did. <laughs> so there's and then similarly in I think it was 1989, there's a a tragic and very weird story that also plays into guns and gun control. A man on the North Shore was separated from his wife, went a little off the deep end, maybe just slightly, bought himself an AK-47 and stole himself a Cessna, a little single-engine plane, uh, from the Beverly Airport. He just walked up with his AK-47 to like a, a mechanic and was like, hey, I'm, I'm taking that plane, fuel, fuel it up and get it started. Goes on to spend something like the next 12 hours strafing the city of Boston out the window of his plane with his AK-47. What? Uh, so he's a postal employee. So this is the first known example of a somebody going, going postal from the sky. <laughs> so he spends a lot of time shooting up the South Boston Postal Annex that's near uh, South Station. Shoots up the control tower and some hangars at Logan Airport. Tries to shoot at people coming out of a Sox game. Oh, wow. Somebody's walking down Newberry Street. They're like, what's this hitting my head? And it's like a, the shell casings from where he's like firing this AK-47 down the street. Eventually, he runs out of gas, so he's has to land. <laughs> so he's arrested. He goes to jail where he still remains. I think he's in Concord, MCI, MCI Concord right now. Do you think he would want to be on a podcast about New England? <laughs> <laughs> Get that interview. See what you can do. I can give you the deets. But that also landed right around the same time as George H.W. Bush was trying to get a limited assault rifle ban passed. I think in 1990, the bill passed, and there was the 1994 assault rifle ban that was a little more stringent under Clinton. So it's similar to the Millen brothers who were right in the 1930s banning of guns like the Tommy gun. This crime also falls like right within the the, the 1980s, 90s debate about assault Great rifles. TV. So, yeah, and that one there is footage. I think it was NBC had a cameraman at the at the South Boston Postal Annex who got some some shots of this plane swooping by, and you see the muzzle flash out the window. Ooh. And there are so many more. I mean, I love one of my favorite episodes of ours is the story of the first aquarium. In Boston, where the first captive whale in the world was exhibited starting in the 1860s. Dang. Which is hard to imagine. But there, there's a lot of primary source material behind that, including, what was her name? Sally or Sarah Gould Putnam. I think Sally Gould Putnam, who went on as an adult to be a pretty well-regarded painter. But as a kid... I think she was like 10 or 12 years old. She visited the aquarium where this whale was kept and she drew sketches of it and that she drew sketches of the woman being pulled in the little boat behind the whale, which was kind of like the main attraction at the aquarium. They, they harnessed the whale and she stood, the, a woman stood in a little boat and the whale would swim around the little tank, pulling the woman in the boat behind her, which would probably not fly in an aquarium today. No, uh, It's probably not recommended uh, with these very, very intelligent animals. But that, I mean, there's this guy, James Ambrose Cutting, who developed a new photographic process. You've heard of daguerreotypes. He developed the ambrotype, as James Ambrose cutting ambrotype, which was an improvement over the, the daguerreotype. He got rich from it. And then he just, he was like, I, I want to have aquariums. And so he, he developed one of the earliest aquariums in the world, definitely the first aquarium in Boston. It was a, a time before people could really successfully keep fish at home or anything like that. So he he developed a lot of the the technology and techniques. 
was able to to hire somebody to captivate a whale by basically a beluga whale driving it into the shallows along the St. Lawrence River as the tide went out, basically like a fish weir, like the the early residents of Boston would have used, trapping it in there. Then he brought it back on a train to Boston, kept it alive for at least a few years. (laughs) And then in the end, P.T. Barnum of Barnum and Bailey's and everything else you've heard of in the 19th and early 20th century basically swindled him out of the business, took the whole thing away. And then P.T. Barnum couldn't keep a, a whale alive for more than about a week at a time. Oh, man. Yeah, that'll be great TV. Have you seen, and I think you could do it, but which what, like area of, not necessarily episode, but what area of history, Boston history, could you actually get on Drunk History and perform <laughs> and finish it for them? Which one do you think you could do? Maybe. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> sort of the, the second half of the 19th century, post-Civil War, just the, the rapid growth and industrialization and annexation and landfill and like just all the different balls that were in motion at that time. We talk about how fast-paced life is today, but for people who were alive in Boston between like 1855 and 1905, we ain't got nothing on them. Yeah. You went into the 1850s as this like tiny Shawmut Peninsula, really isolated from the mainland. The economy was very focused on shipping and sort of the mercantile economy. And then between the, 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 the rise of Irish immigration and immigration in general, the annexation of all the surrounding towns, the filling of the back Bay, the railroad, um, South Boston mudflats, the Bullfinch triangle, the coming of the railroads to Boston to create our own, you know, we didn't have the Hudson Valley and then the Erie Canal to tie us together with the rest of the country and to keep us relevant as a port. So we had to build those connections and the railroads. Absolutely. So all those things come together in the second half of the 19th century. And, you know, by the, by the close of the century, Boston is connected to the country by telephone, by telegraph, by railroad. We're doing x-rays in our hospitals. We're using anesthesia and surgery So somebody who was born in like 1840 would have been living basically in Paul Revere's Boston. And then they would have died in our Boston. That period of transformation is just amazing. And you could talk about it very probably. That that used to be my my forte when when we had the walking tour company. I would talk about um, the back bay and I'd talk a lot about 19th century change in Boston. The other area where maybe I could hold my own would be sort of the immediate post-revolutionary period. And just because that was also a period of, of, of change and growth and development in Boston. But no, the, the, the sort of the late 19th century is probably my go-to. Yeah, that's when stop, stuff really starts picking up. Well, Jake, that's all I got for you tonight. It's been a long time. It's been a great It's time, true. Sure. Before I let you go, you have to tell our listeners a little bit about your show, Pilgrim's Digress, because we first met when I was a guest on your show, and that's that's what inspired me to have you come on and, and turn the tables on me here today. So, so tell us a little bit about Pilgrim's Digress. So my show is uh, anything New England. It used to be people from New England, this and that, but I talk about things uh, about uh, New England, people from New England. So I've done everything from music to beer to self-help um, to uh, – to hip hop, uh, to teachers, wacky news, 
Um, I regularly have a, a sports guy on and we talk. I mentioned Mike Gagney of Boston Harbor Horror. I had a guy from Newport. So uh, I, although I am a history teacher, um, the podcast is more an opportunity for me to talk about New England because I'm a transplant and I love it here. And uh, I try to find as much uh, stuff and people as I can from New England to get uh, to get that pride going, you know, get that local listening uh, pride going. So uh, that's why that's what drew me to, to your podcast and uh, to all the other ones that you mentioned as well. So uh, if your listeners are interested in some up to date and current conversations with people who love what they're doing, an organist, I've got Jeff Belanger from uh, from New England Legends. Uh, he was really cool. Uh, distilleries, uh, my third, I'm sorry, the end of my second season, I got a little political, talked to the DSA Wusser and, um, but it's just me talking to people. It's an excuse for me to meet new people. I have to say, I really <laughs> admire <laughs> and, the way you do interviews. Interviews for me are always super stressful. Uh, and granted, most of mine are author interviews and I'm always like cramming to read the book and try to think of smart questions oh, for yeah. them and things yeah, like that. But I get so stressed out by interviews and yours sound very natural. And I always learn something. If your listeners are into that, then come on over to pilgrimsdigress.com. I've got all my socials there and uh, looking forward to hearing from you guys and uh, talking with all everybody about our local New England and Boston area stuff. Well, I will make sure to link to pilgrimsdigress.com in the show notes this week at hubhistory.com slash 250. Aaron, I, I can't thank you enough for doing this with me here today. I know it, it was a lot of prep and, and getting things together and, and listeners won't hear that, but we had a few tech glitches at the beginning. So I appreciate your patience <laughs> in pulling this whole thing together. What a great time. Uh, we'll have to connect again Absolutely. in the future for sure. Absolutely. This is Future Jake one last time. I hope you enjoyed stepping out of our normal podcast style just for one episode. I promise I won't do it too often. Make sure you check out Pilgrim's Digress. Aaron's a great interviewer about all things New England, so subscribe to his show in your favorite podcast app, or go to pilgrimsdigress.com to see all the ways to get in touch with him. That link will be in the show notes this week at hubhistory.com slash 250. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can email podcast at hubhistory.com. We're Hub History on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Or you can go to hubhistory.com and click on the Contact Us link. While you're on the site, hit the subscribe link and be sure that you never miss an episode. If you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, please consider writing us a brief review. If you do, drop me a line, and I'll send you a Hub History sticker as a token of appreciation. That's all for now. Stay safe out there, listeners.